of the scale integration. Very large scale integration. Very large scale integration. The Canadian Microelectronics Corporation, the International Conference on Microelectronics, Micronet, and Canadian Institute of Teaching Overseas. Dr. El Nasri is a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada, and that is a very esteemed position in this country to, to have that honor, and a fellow of the Canadian Academy of Engineers. So, Dr. El Nasri is speaking from uh, a place of great achievement and accomplishment. Uh, great esteem in his uh, home institution at the University of Waterloo. And there's this other side of his personality, of course, in his professional life, where he has been the public voice of uh, Canadians of Islamic background uh, for a number of years. Um, and uh, I'm going to uh, take a bit of uh, I'm going to take a bit of time with this introduction. Uh, uh, one of the first times I saw Dr. El Masri in action was at the University of Calgary, where there was perhaps a thousand people in the audience. Maybe that's an exaggeration. Maybe it was, anyway, it was a good number, a high number of hundreds of people. Um, perhaps half of them were obviously uh, is Islamic with uh, traditional garb, hijabs, and and, uh, and the other half uh, seemed to be uh, uh, quite uh, in a different camp. Uh, Dr. Berkison was also speaking there. Um, and again and again, people would get up to the microphone and say, I heard uh, Imam in Pakistan say the following thing, and then something would be read out, some very hostile, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish remark. Uh, and, and again and again, Dr. El Nasri would be, would be asked, please respond. What do you think of this? Obviously, hoping to uh, uh, provoke or call forth from Dr. El Masri something that could appear in the press to make him look uh, uh, demonic or um, hostile to Jews or, or that kind of thing. Uh, I was quite impressed with his general answer. Basically, whatever an imam, an imam says in Pakistan that has nothing to do with me, I am in no sense responsible for what uh, an imam might say in Pakistan, but I do have some role in the, in the Islamic community in Canada. I met Dr. El Masri about three years ago at a conference organized at Dalhousie where we looked at the subject of disinformation in the media. Tony Seed, uh, the uh, editor of Shunpiking magazine in Nova Scotia, had organized the conference. And it was a fantastic conference. Uh, and it, it was uh, so um, informative on so many levels. Uh, that autumn, following that conference, I did nine video conferences, mostly uh, uh, with people who I met uh, at the conference, uh, one of whom uh, I met at that event in Calgary, subsequently, Digila Al-Rakabi. So if you get to see the classes uh, Digila has done, Digital Al Rakabi is from uh, Fallujah. I met her with uh, Dr. El Masri after this event at, at Calgary. So we've had a, a good uh, series of discussions in this forum here. Uh, unfortunately, as you must realize by now, the uh, video conference link crashed. There was some kind of weather episode 
at the University of Waterloo. And uh, we lost the video link. We had it for a few moments, and we might still get it back yet. And uh, obviously, there's a level of engagement when you can see the person and they can see you. Uh, we don't have that uh, going for us right now, but it may come back at, at any time. Uh, so as I, I, I uh, look forward this evening to uh, a good uh, conversation with Dr. El Masri who I know has been uh, following um, the new policies of the the Conservative government in Ottawa. Uh, Dr. Al-Masri's role in recent years has been to monitor, or one of his roles, has been to monitor the media and see how uh, Canadians of Arab background and Muslim background are depicted there's a very uh, intense kind of engagement between Dr. El Masri and the National Post. Uh, and, uh, of course, the National Post is, uh, there is a firm commitment by the publishers, by the owners of the National Post and Canwest Global, uh, to Israel. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a, a very uh, clear link. Uh, and there's some very explicit policies about how journalists within that organization can and cannot speak about Israel, can and cannot speak about the Palestinians. Uh, so, uh, uh, with that introduction, um, Mohammed, um, welcome, and uh, perhaps you could uh, introduce the subjects that you're, uh, uh, you would like to speak about tonight, and uh, we could perhaps uh, carry on the discussion in a way, if you want to carry on a, a presentation. Uh, straightforward, or if you would entertain questions during the, the body of your conversation, perhaps you could signal to us. Okay, okay. Thank you very much, uh, Tony, for this uh, excellent uh, introduction. Good evening, everyone. And uh, my apology for uh, the video link. I hope we can manage without. Um, I, I want to uh, start by uh, making uh, an important introduction uh, to tell you where uh, I come from in terms of activism uh, in Canada. I'm uh, Egyptian born. I came, as Tony said, in this country in 68. Uh, I'm a professor. I'm a father of four children, two daughters and two sons. Um, the oldest is a, a crown attorney working for Ontario government a criminal lawyer, and uh, the son is the CEO of uh, a software company in Toronto. Another uh, son just finished arts in University of Waterloo, and a daughter, she's a social worker. My wife comes from a small town in the East Coast called Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, with an Irish and Acadian background. Is everybody can hear me okay? Yeah, just a, a, a question for Calvin. Can you mic us so that we can just talk in the room without having to go through the uh, pushing the button? Is there a kind of... Yeah, so we're still in that mode. Eh? Okay. Yeah, okay. And uh, it, this is give you an idea of uh, uh, a dinner discussion in, in our household. And uh, when you look at all the backgrounds, uh, uh, also my uh, son married to a Canadian young lady, 
from Ottawa, and her uh, parents came originally from Lebanon. My daughter married to a Canadian-born uh, gentleman, and his parents came from uh, Germany. So just, uh, as I said, he gave you a, a small United Nations uh, uh, for our household. Now, in terms of strategy, uh, the Canadian Islamic Congress uh, trying to speed up what we call smart integration of Canadian Muslims. Uh, there is 750,000 Canadian Muslims in this country. Half of us are born in this country. The other half come from um, uh, some 50 uh, countries around the world. Um, half of us living in Ontario, and the half of that half is in the GTA area. Um, and uh, Smart integration is defined as a happy medium between assimilation and isolation. And I think this is very suitable for Canadian Muslims and also for the Canadian psych. We want Canadian Muslims to be proud of their civilizations, their faith, and their practice, their heritage. Uh, and at the same time to be an active member uh, of the public square. Uh, you know that uh, level of apathy, for example, in the political arena is very high among uh, Canadians, especially Canadian youth, uh, and the percentage of Canadians who uh, uh, vote in, in elections in the 60s was around 80%. Uh, recently, this number dropped to 60%. So we have a democratic deficit in this country. And uh, smart integration is, uh, is to tell uh, Canadian Muslims that uh, uh, involvement in, in politics is very important. Uh, member of parliaments are paid by taxpayers. Uh, political dissent is part of our system. Uh, you must be a caring citizen, not only to be a good citizen, but also to be a good Muslim from the religious point of view, and we offer them why Islam looks at, at the caring citizen as a good neighbor and a good Muslim, and will be rewarded accordingly by God Almighty. And we've been doing a, a lot of hard work, and, and uh, we're trying to come up with a very practical ways of, of engaging our community and, and one of those is actually where Tony did not mention, and I was pleased that he did participate in it. We did a, an intensive two-day short course, which we did videotape, uh, and we invited uh, uh, imams, political leaders, young uh, uh, men and, and women from across the country, uh, uh, to give them really an intensive short course on what? On Canadian history. Canadian political system, Canadian uh, constitution, Canadian media, and we did select the top academics in, in these areas, and uh, it was well received. It attended physically in Toronto about a year ago by 120 uh, uh, Muslims from across Canada, and those who could not attend, we had the videotapes that we actually nailed uh, 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 to them. And, and at the same time, also, in, in the last federal election, in 04 and 06, 
what we did is we did a, a report card which has been praised by politicians, uh, uh, media, uh, professor of political science across this country, uh, I, I would say most of them, uh, in order to put a report card uh, about candidates and also a member of parliament, and uh, we give them an A or a B or, or an F, uh, and this grading was according to a yardstick, which we did publish in advance, which involves uh, 20 issues. Ten of them are uh, national issues like health care, uh, defense spending, etc., uh, and uh, 10 international issues, including the future of United Nations, Israeli-Palestinian conflict, etc. And this is with very successful project because it did engage the, the, our community. Many people said, yes, you are right, M my member of parliament uh, deserves an A, and you did the right thing by giving him or her an A. Some people get up very upset with us and said, you give my member of parliament and A, he, should, he, he or she should uh, 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 got a, a, an F, not an F, even a triple F. And, and uh, I think this has actually got our people to think and, and also to vote. So for the first time in our history in this, can, in this country uh, that uh, we reached according to our exit poll, that our average is above the national average of 60%. This means that Muslims uh, paid attention to who they vote for and they vote for the best person. Uh, we we did a, a, took a, a, a line uh, in the 04 election uh, eventually to say, uh, hold your nose and vote liberal, and indeed many uh, analysts and observers did credit the Canadian Islamic Congress study for the minority government, the Liberal got in 04. In the 06, we changed the strategy slightly, and, and we said that you should really vote for the best candidate, irrespective of the party. Uh, I'm not sure if this was wise at that time or not, but anyway, we did it, and many observers also give us the credit for uh, uh, that, that we have a, a conservative government in Ottawa right now. Now, uh, uh, speeding up the smart integration is our ultimate strategy, that we want really uh, Muslims in this country uh, to feel comfortable to be part of the public square, uh, and also being a Muslim will not be a problem. So I, I'll be just, because of my name, you might guess that I'm a Muslim, uh, I, I go to the mosque uh, uh, on Friday, a Christian uh, Mennonite, uh, which we have uh, many of them in, in Waterloo region. They will go uh, the traditional way, maybe with a horse and buggy to the church uh, on uh, uh, Sunday. Uh, and so this means my faith and my religion really is not an issue anymore. Uh, you have to judge uh, me according to how I can contribute to this country, how a good uh, professor I am, or a good father, or a good son, or a good brother, etc., like any other Canadian. Also part of the speeding up smart integration is the breaking up the barriers, uh, uh, those barriers who uh, slow down smart integration. Uh, so this means that you'll find that, as Tony said, that uh, we are very concerned about the concentration of media in this country, about the anti-Islam, 
uh, heat in the media and negative stereotyping of Muslims in this country. And, and these we find uh, really barriers uh, to our smart integration. In addition to that, uh, as you know, uh, racial profiling, uh, no listing, uh, no passport listing, uh, the war on terror, quote unquote, uh, is a, a big problem after 9-11, which uh, we think it's a barrier for uh, us to uh, speed up the smart integration. I want to, uh, uh, beyond this introduction, which we, you can actually ask me some, some questions related to it, if you like, any time uh, in, in, in a few minutes, that uh, I would like to touch on three uh, issues uh, with you tonight. Uh, and uh, perhaps I can actually uh, take a break with question and answer after each of these issues, so, and we move to the, sec the, the second and third one. The first one is Canadians in Afghanistan. Uh, this is a very important issue for us and for many Canadians, as you know, uh, and uh, I would like to discuss it and our perspective on it uh, and uh, perhaps try to answer uh, where do we go from here as Canadians. The second one is uh, Canada's policy regarding the Middle East. Uh, again, I would like to uh, tell you our perspective and, and uh, perhaps entertain also some question and answer related to the second issue, this one. The third one is anti-Islam and anti-Islam in the media and politics, uh, and, and also we can entertain some questions regarding the third one. Uh, under each of these three uh, issues, you will find that we have to discuss other uh, issues because they just uh, go without saying that they are related. And, and the first one is, is Canadians in Afghanistan. And, and if, if you really want to write something very crucial that you want to, to make a quotation from me, that Canada's initial 3D mission of defense, development, and diplomacy is seriously missing the last 2D. You know, I will repeat that again. Canada's initial 3D mission of defense, development, and diplomacy is seriously missing the last 2D. Um, Afghanistan is a country, in, uh, is a landlocked country in Central Asia, bordering uh, uh, Russia, uh, Iran, uh, and, and Pakistan, the main countries uh, bordering Afghanistan. And uh, it was really neglected by uh, the superpower uh, uh, of any day unless they have a really a great need to, to be there. So uh, if you look at the United Nations list of the poorest country in the world, probably you will find Afghanistan either at the bottom or just very close to the bottom. It's a tribal uh, uh, country. Uh, the closest I got to Afghanistan is Peshawar which is a border town in, uh, in the Pakistani side of the border, and uh, it is very similar. It's a very dry land, uh, extreme heat, uh, desert heat in the summertime, which reached 50 uh, plus. Uh, it's unfriendly in terms of foreigners, in terms of just uh, the environment itself. The Afghani people are very proud, the traditional people, 
They are pre- uh, proud of their history, their tradition, their warriors. Uh, uh, a man, uh, usually at, at age seven and eight, when he becomes an adult man recognized by the tribe, uh, he used to be like, riding horses and, and, and becomes a, a man. Uh, uh, today, he will actually carry a submachine gun. Uh, so this is part of them. They are not really going after anybody. It's just uh, part of the tradition that uh, a man is not a man unless he protects his household and his tribe. Uh, there is many wars uh, between tribes during history. Uh, Britain tried to subdue the country three times. It did fail miserably uh, because uh, the Afghani people, as I said, you are very proud nationalist people, and the tribes actually more or less unite against foreign troops. Okay, although they might have uh, 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 hate-love relationship between each other, once uh, the foreigners invade, this is what Alexander uh, the Great found out, and then Britain, of course, and most recently the Soviet Union, who did invade uh, Afghanistan and the Inner in Kabul, uh, uh, communist regime and uh, it, it failed miserably after 13 years and they had to really rush the withdrawal from Afghanistan uh, and uh, Afghanistan actually went into a, a little bit of a civil war and the Taliban which you just hear their name uh, in the news uh, recently uh, because we are there uh, they are uh, students mainly studying religion, uh, either in Afghanistan or Pakistan nearby. And when they saw their country in the big map, they try actually, like any other national uh, youth movement, they try to unite the country. And the best way to unite a country like Afghanistan, which is have these different tribes, is to get a, an ideology which is respected by everyone, and everybody will be equal uh, in front of that. There is no constitution as such. Uh, uh, every tribe has its own law. So the Taliban said we have to go to the basic uh, uh, justice system of Islam, and it will apply to you and me. And in most cases, if you, if you follow their political career, because remember, they are politicians. You know, irrespective of how we hate them or we like them, they are politicians. They are not very good politicians because they lack the experience. But their uh, mission statement was to tell every Afghani, we're going to uh, stop this trade in opium that is against our religion and against our national pride, and we stop. And we're going to severely punish anybody uh, if they're involved in this uh, uh, Simple agriculture, if you like. And within about a year or so, they were very successful because uh, they knew exactly the psyche of their people, and even the United Nations praised them highly that indeed the trade in opium almost stopped while Afghanistan, before the Taliban, was the top number one country in the world in, in opium trade because the weather and the elevation, um, uh, uh, it actually uh, it produced a, a, a very good uh, crop in, in terms of uh, production. 
So the Taliban uh, more or less was uh, tolerated by everyone, uh, even was helped a bit by United States, by Pakistan. Uh, they didn't do much harm. They didn't do much good to their own people. But the Taliban insisted on international aid. They wanted the farmers uh, to be compensated for giving up this very lucrative uh, trade in opium. Uh, everybody uh, really ignored uh, the, uh, Afghanistan because really the Cold War was over, the Soviet was out, nobody was interested in helping the Afghani people, they, they dress funny, they speak funny, and uh, their women are covered from top to toe. So all good reason to hate them and don't offer anything, which is indeed was the case. Uh, there was many starvation. Uh, the Western uh, uh, countries, including Canada, stay away from Afghanistan, and, and this has continued to be the case till 9/11. And at 9/11, um, the United States uh, said that uh, those people who uh, commit that crime of 9/11 was being trained in Afghanistan, and Osama bin Laden uh, is the one which offered the training. And he is now in Afghanistan, and we want the Taliban to hand them uh, to us. The Taliban said, we don't know. This is their answer. We don't know where he is. We wish we could. Uh, and uh, if you have anything, you know, we, we can actually try to find them. This is, was not giving really much chance. 9-11 uh, happened uh, on the 11th of September. On the 7th of October, which is just over a year now, uh, the United States bombed the country uh, heavily uh, through the uh, B-52, etc., etc., and uh, invaded Afghanistan. Of course, Afghanistan doesn't have much really of an army, uh, and they were successful to take uh, over Kabul. Uh, the United States realized that there is not much really to gain by being in, in Afghanistan. There is no oil. It's a very harsh country. Uh, uh, the, the people are friendly to uh, foreigners. Uh, they are excellent uh, 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 fighters when it comes to guerrilla war, and and they will actually uh, inflict heavily, heavily on on the on the Americans there. For all the above reasons, um, the United States uh, uh, try to reduce their commitment to Afghanistan, of course they shifted uh, uh, in 03 all their effort to uh, uh, rich Iraq, uh, rich in oil, and uh, they tried to uh, uh, tell their friends, including Canada, you, you have to come and help us in Afghanistan. Uh, I mean, if, if you put it into, uh, you know, uh, a blunt language, your country must send your young kids, men and women, in order to be killed, um, because we can't really sustain the, uh, the PR from Americans killed in Afghanistan. We cannot justify it. There is no oil. Uh, Afghanistan will not go anywhere. It's a very poor country, etc., uh, etc. Et so part of your friendship is to come and help us by sending troops. So they convinced also other countries, some 30 countries, to do the same. So instead of having, uh, for example, uh, 
ten American soldiers uh, killed the day. This ten will be divided among the 30 countries, maybe one or two in each country. And Canada got the worst uh, part of the country, which is the south, which is Kandahar, which is a very fierce uh, fighters, including Taliban, including as a price. The unfortunate part that Canada did go ahead with the U.S. policy, um, uh, quote unquote, this is our commitment to a friend, um, and uh, they tried to justify it in the public domain uh, early by saying that Canada there are uh, to uh, sustain the 3D mission, which is defense. This means that we have a military uh, presence there. We will increase it from few hundreds to few thousands and maybe more. We'll be staying there till 07. Um, and uh, also development, CEDA uh, uh, will be there and we're going to build XYZ. And also diplomacy, we will try to get some political uh, solution to this conflict. So the 3D mission was really wise, but unfortunately today, uh, as you probably realize from just uh, reading media reports, that the, the last 2D are not fulfilled, the development almost zero, uh, the, the Canadian government claim a very small amount of money which goes to uh, the Afghani government in Kabul, there is no accountability, and it's only 10% of the military budget. So for uh, uh, every thousand uh, dollars, they send uh, just a small 10% uh, or less in order to, for development. We have not, for the last five years, uh, built any hostels, any universities, any training centers, nothing. Zero. Zero. Big zero. So we are there in Kandahar. Uh, up till now, we have uh, 40 uh, military personnel between men and women um, uh, being killed there. Uh, the uh, conservative government in Ottawa uh, in a hurry uh, did extend the mission to 09 without a debate uh, with a margin of four votes. This is democracy for you. In a very dangerous mission like that, uh, only uh, uh, four votes. I think uh, 149 uh, said yes and 145 said uh, no. Uh, so we are stuck there, if you like, till 09. And you can see uh, the conservative government has no idea how to solve this politically. They are now complaining to other NATO countries that they should be in the south. Uh, diplomatic effort, uh, peaceful effort to resolve the conflict uh, is almost zero. Canada doesn't play any leading role there in Afghanistan, although we are committed uh, over 2,000 uh, uh, military personnel so far, and we're increasing that number uh, every week. Um, and and uh, you, you can see uh, more than half of Canadians, I mean, this is the official uh, uh, poll result, and I think uh, it is much, much higher uh, that... Uh, 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 that they oppose to this mission. I mean, Canadians are smart. I mean, we are not gaining their uh, anything, and we are not helping the Afghani, irrespective of what Mr. Harper said. Uh, even on uh, Saturday, October 28, I'm sure in uh, 
nearby you there is a demonstration uh, which has uh, the slogan uh, support our troop not the empire bring our kids home because I don't understand the logic behind supporting our troop by sending more of our kids to be killed there how, how I can actually support the troop by sending Canadians, more Canadians to be killed there I mean this is just ridiculous it's stupid um, so, so this is this is a, uh, it's a big movement in Canada. As I said, you know, this is a national day of bringing the kids home on the 28th. And it's, it's a proper slogan that the Canadian Islamic Congress also co-sponsoring this. We are not really the spear, uh, uh, we are not spearheading this. It's actually the Canadian Peace Alliance, which is an umbrella group. CIC is one of those members. And the Canadian Action Party also, uh, which is a, a national young party which is uh, uh, trying to uh, be um, alternative to the Green and the NDP uh, party in the next election. You, you should really uh, click on into Google and the Canadian Action Party and the Canadian Peace Alliance uh, to see on their website, you know, uh, what they do in terms of bringing uh, the troops home. And the Canadian Islamic Congress also did a proactive step by uh, making a special scholarship which will be given uh, this uh, month for the first uh, Canadian woman, Nicola Goddard, uh, which is passed, uh, she's recorded actually uh, in, in, uh, in May in, in Afghanistan. And, and the scholarship uh, is given for a Canadian student who are studying peace and conflict study, and we were happy actually to find one in a very short time because uh, we announced that in, in June, and we got the applications in July, and uh, we announced it at the end of this month, and the scholarship purpose is twofold, is to honor uh, this young 26-year-old uh, young woman, uh, uh, and also to send the message that political conflicts must be uh, resolved uh, uh, on a uh, peace conference uh, uh, formula around uh, the table. Uh, if diplomacy failed, uh, you should try diplomacy again and again and again. And, and uh, I think this is we try to do this. Uh, related to Afghanistan, we said in the liberal leadership, uh, if anybody is following the liberal uh, leadership, uh, campaign, uh, we said that Afghanistan is a break, make or break issue, it's a top issue as far as we are concerned, and accordingly, uh, we made a report card, we give uh, uh, Michael Ignatius F, and we give Gerard Kennedy A, based on that issue. Uh, can we, um, can we, we can actually break if you want, and we have some questions. Yeah, this might be a good chance to uh, have a little discussion. So, um, because of course the history you're giving is controversial, there's different ways to interpret that history. Um, I have a few uh, um, additions or um, things that I see somewhat differently. But uh, before I hold forth on this, uh, uh, is there any uh, questions or observations on uh, this? Uh, discussion on history of Afghanistan leading to uh, fuller 
consideration of the relationship of Canada and the Canadian military to the support of the present government of Afghanistan. Again, a variety of uh, opponents who are called Taliban, but I don't think are necessarily uh, ideological in that way. They're, they're, in the view of many, their country is being occupied by a foreign power. Come on, guys. Women? Uh, I've got a I'll ask you a question. Um, you talked about the, the tribes in Afghanistan. I mean, there seems to be a lot of, you know, infighting amongst all the tribes, and that when the, when the Taliban took over, the only common ideology was um, their faith, and that's what, you know, solidified that government. Um, what do you think we should do now, then? If you want us to bring our troops home, do we just let those tribes fight amongst each other until they come up with some other form of government, which will probably be maybe not exactly like the Taliban, but will have the same common team, same common ideology, have a religious government? Do we just let them do that on their own? Do we just, I mean, we went in, we, we started this chain of events by invading the country five years ago. Um, I mean, is it morally responsible for us just to leave now, do you think? Uh, we, we are not really proposing that uh, we just leave. It's not just leave, but we, we, we have to have a comprehensive plan which is uh, uh, relying on negotiation and we did call uh, the Canadian government to call for a United, a United Nations peace conference where uh, on the table would be the current Afghani government, the Taliban, all the uh, tribes in Afghanistan, uh, the neighbors of Afghanistan, Russia, Iran, Pakistan, because of all of them are shareholders, all of them. In addition, of course, to the United Nations, the United States, and Canada, European Union, and, and the major powers. So the idea is to define the political conflict, you know, and also to make sure that we listen to all of them. But, but uh, the rhetoric which we hear, and you, get, you hear from the media, and some of the media anyway, that how we can actually ever really invite the Taliban. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it is everybody. We can't exclude Pakistan, we can't uh, uh, exclude Iran because they are very major power, they are neighbors, you know, the, the weapons actually come from this country, including Russia. Uh, the Taliban is a grassroots organization which attracts many, many Afghani. Just put yourself in the shoes of Afghani today. The personal security dropped to zero now. You can't send uh, uh, your kid anywhere uh, uh, just to, to the neighborhood uh, uh, store, even in Cairo, because uh, the, uh, the police and the army are not well equipped to even protect themselves. Remember the alliance there, which is part, uh, the, the, I mean, the, the 30 countries, uh, uh, led by, by NATO now, uh, they don't trust any Afghani. And this is causing a problem. So this means that the police, the Afghani police, who are trained, for example, by the Canadians, the army who are uh, 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 trained by the Americans and the Polish and the Spanish, they are not well equipped 
Not because of the lack of weapons, because these powers don't trust these people because they will turn, turn on them next tomorrow. And you don't see that. You know, when, when you see the report that we, we got a uh, Canadian killed yesterday by the Taliban, how do you know? You don't know. If, if indeed that person who killed that uh, uh, Canadian is, is a Taliban or not. I mean, they don't wear anything different. They don't have an ID card. We don't know exactly who did what. Okay? So, so this means this is a political conflict, and we should not be there. I mean, if, if, if the... Who, who's in control in Afghanistan? Nobody is in control. The, the Afghani government right now is a, in a, almost about two kilometers by two kilometers is in control, and the rest of countries are really ad hoc uh, warlords, uh, uh, opium traders, uh, tribal uh, shipments, the Taliban, uh, Canadians are in Kandahar, they, uh, even in NATO, they tell the soldiers, don't go outside at night time. So what kind of stability is this? So, so this means that if we don't have a peace conference, if we don't get the U.S. to buy into this, we said we'll go out. Thank you very much, we'll go out. So we put the leverage of friendship in that. Uh, but, but in order to be there, and you hear the rhetoric from the Prime Minister, linking Afghanistan mission to 9-11. I mean, this is ridiculous. It doesn't gain us anything. And, and also saying that we're going to stay there till we finish the job. What is finishing the job is? He doesn't know. We don't know. And, and many Canadians. I mean, I want these people who are really for supporting the troops by keeping them there to send their kids there. I want the Prime Minister to send his kids to fight in Afghanistan. I know his kids are young. He can send his wife and, and whoever. Does this mean that once you get that psych, you know, is this is Mark, the one he asked the question? Who, who asked the question? I asked the question. Yeah, that's, that's an excellent answer. Yeah. The, 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 I, 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 I met with the current defense minister and the previous one. I was shocked. When I, when, uh, Bill Graham, of course, was just initial, uh, 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 mission, and I said, you have to have a strategy. You have to know exactly what you are doing. And uh, he gave me some just waving hand things. And then when I said, well, we'll be, ab uh, with no casualty at that time, when I met him the first time, Bill Graham. And I said, we'll be, uh, somebody will be killed. You know what he told me? To answer me? He said, about to happen. It is about to happen, he told me. I was shocked. I, I just, I said, I don't know how this politician sleep at night. Because if he realizes that these people in their 20s, he, he should treat them exactly like he treats his kids. Bill Graham, he has, I know, he has kids in their 20s. If he knows exactly that some of his kids are in the front line, he would think twice about sending them without... I'm not saying that we, we should tomorrow we should leave Afghanistan. I'm not proposing that. But unless we have a comprehensive policy which has diplomacy and development as part of this, you know? You, you tell the Afghani now, I, I want you to join the Taliban. Why not? You, you, Canada didn't show anything. They didn't tell the hostel called Canadian gift by Canadians to Afghani. Try to... Tell the Canadian government you should change Kandahar 
to Canada Hall. Canada Hall. Built the hostel. Built the university. The, the whole uh, 30,000, uh, uh, sorry, 30 million inhabitants of Afghanistan has only a small, poor host, uh, 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 poor university in Kabul. Can you imagine? So if you, if you show genuinely that you are there in order to help them, okay? They are not stupid. They will see. So if the uh, Taliban comes and says, well, we want to recruit you, that we are, these are foreigners, they are want to, they are uh, uh, committing sins against your people, against your honor, and against this and that. said, so, no, sir. The, these people did good. Look at the uh, hostel there. It has some nice Canadian Afghani uh, MDs and Canadian uh, nurses there. James, James Shaw's uh, question, I think, could as easily be applied to Iraq. Uh, when uh, a system is uh, disrupted and uh, an, an occupying power goes in and, and a new, uh, maybe there, well, we're, we're hearing from Mohammed, there really is no equilibrium in uh, Afghanistan. But the idea of just pulling out, of course, you leave behind a chaotic situation. I think the same could be said for Iraq, the idea that... You, from one day to the next, you just pack up and, and, and leave. Uh, that couldn't be a responsible uh, response. You know, you, a new situation has been created, and it's, um, you have to do. Some, you have to make whatever change in policy you're going to make in a systemic way that puts in place expedience to uh, replace what you're removing. But I, this, this history of Afghanistan, if I was to attempt the history that you Mohammed, I would back it up just a little bit more because uh, this was uh, one of the central uh, places where the tensions of the Cold War were played out. And uh, I think it's so important to understand the relationship between the Cold War and the um, conditions of the Cold War and how we got into what is now uh, known as the War on Terror. And, and in some ways, I think the, uh, the concept of terrorists replaced the concept of communists. Uh, the uh, fear that communism was going to dominate the world and take over the world and that it was a kind of a ideology and it was a state and it was... A, uh, you know, how, how could you define it? I mean, this gave uh, the United States a great license to uh, carry on its war economy from World War II and to uh, militarize the planet and now, uh, of course, militarizing outer space. So the continuity of U.S. relationship militarily to the world through the military-industrial complex, which is the heart of the economy of the United States, the continuity between the the Cold War, the war on communism, and the war on terrorists, uh, it's hard not to see a certain uh, uh, design some, some to maintain a certain continuity. So in this history, Af Afghanistan was the key. Afghanistan was the weak point in the Soviet system. Uh, Afghanistan... Uh, you know, had been the site of Russian imperialism. Russian imperialism met British imperialism. They called it the Great Game. It's long been uh, a, a point where different imperial systems clash. 
So the Soviet Union succeeded in imposing a puppet regime in Afghanistan. So it was an Afghani government, but it was an Afghani government uh, beholden to Moscow, politically, economically, industrially dependent upon the Soviet system. And, and it was uh, not that popular in, uh, among uh, Afghanis. And certainly it was a symbol among Muslims uh, of, um, you know, the godlessness of communism. So the concept that communism is atheist, that Karl Marx, you know, argued that religion is the opiate of the people, that uh, materialism, you know, Karl Marx saw himself as very scientific uh, and, and was emphasized that the basis of human relationships is material relationships. And like the idea of religion is, is just a way for the ruling class to keep the lower classes down by promising everlasting life or some kind of a, a better life in the afterlife. Uh, so, um, so the United States very, uh, was very uh, forceful on this point and any place in the world where it could uh, advance and promote a religious initiative, uh, somebody asserting some kind of theocratic agenda, wanting religion to be more dominant in the governance of people, the U.S. would almost automatically support that. But uh, with uh, Afghanistan, this was the, the uh, chance to really wound the Soviet system uh, irreparably. And uh, it was really Brzezinski, I think, who was uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, major foreign policy advisor, who, who, who really took this on. And the U.S. government started to uh, recruit uh, Islamic... I, the word uh, fundamentalist is a, a loaded one, political Islam, Mohammed. What is the correct term? Uh, how would you describe... Uh, the, the group that the U.S. was recruiting? Well, I, I think uh, it, we give them uh, different names at, at different uh, times. I, I have a few comments, if I may. Yeah, uh, just, just, just to finish the, this. Okay. Um, so, uh, CIA and ISI in Pakistan worked very closely with a person called Osama bin Laden, who was a prince from Saudi Arabia. Uh, and uh, so he, he became an agent of uh, U.S. policy, covert U.S. policy in, in that part of the world. And U.S. government through uh, ISI Pakistan, which is the uh, intelligence service, uh, recruited uh, very committed Islamic warriors from all over the world to train and to uh, topple the government of Afghanistan, the Soviet puppet regime of Afghanistan. And so when, when uh, you say, well, where did Al-Qaeda come from? And Al-Qaeda is, of course, the major organization attributed to uh, uh, 9-11. You know, the hard reality is U.S. had a big part in creating that network. It was an expedient of the Cold War to try to topple the government of, uh, of Afghanistan, the puppet regime of Afghanistan. They were armed with rocket launchers. They were able to take out the helicopters, the Soviet 
helicopters. And, um, and this had an enormous impact in Eastern Europe because in Poland, for instance, they're watching this uh, failure of the Soviet regime in Afghanistan and it heartens uh, those in Eastern Europe to stand up to the Soviet system. And the story goes, the official story goes, that Osama bin Laden, when he saw that, he, that his uh, approach could overturn the Soviet system, said, you know, one emperor, empire down, one to go. Uh, so, so that history of, uh, you know, the, the genesis of what happened in, in, in Afghanistan and who the Taliban are and how the Taliban were at one point uh, part of this simulation of, uh, of jihadists uh, financed through Pakistan ISI by the U.S. government. Uh, you know, this is this is pretty basic history, and it certainly doesn't seem to get much acknowledgement uh, when we just put out the idea that you know the, this uh, Al Qaeda is, is some diabolical group of people who who created the, themselves uh, out of this uh, ideology. Um, well, the U.S. had a lot to do with with stimulating that and promoting that. And Chalmers Johnson called this blowback. Now, Afghanistan may not have oil, but it is on the, the course of potential pipelines to take the oil out of the Caspian Sea area, which is high, high in oil resources. And a lot of this is the politics of China, the fact that China and India are getting a middle class or getting a, a, a comfortable middle class. They want cars, they want the lifestyle that uh, North American middle class has become accustomed to. And so who's going to supply that oil? Is it going to be U.S. oil companies taking it out through Afghanistan, out to uh, the Indian Ocean, and then shipping it around to China? Or, you know, China's big and powerful China. It's not that far away from China. China can just reach out and, and, and pull it in uh, um, through its own uh, exercise of military muscle. So Afghanistan is at the crossroads of a lot of history and a lot of competing agendas. And Canadians, we should be self-conscious of, of what agenda our troops, we are giving our own uh, kids, as you put it, Mohammed, uh, to advance. Whose interests are we advancing? Is it to advance? Who is uh, Herman Karzai, the head of the government in Afghanistan, if, if the former regime was a, was a Soviet puppet regime, I think it's clear this is a U.S. puppet regime. This is a, a designate of uh, the United States, Herman Karzai himself, who may be an interesting man and, um, you know, treat his family well and have a certain decency about his personal aura, but the fact is he did work for Unical Corporation which is the builder of this pipeline, or one of the, the, the proposed pipelines. So, um, um, what, what is the nature of the government we are supporting? Uh, why is it that the export of opium has gone up by about 400% since the Taliban? Why is it that wherever the United States sets up regimes, it seems to side with the drug lords? And that was the case in Laos, uh, you know, we saw that uh, very much in the British Empire and the opium wars going into China. The control of that opium trade is, has for a long time from that part of the world 
been a major card in, you know, the imperial control of the planet. And uh, it remains so to this day. Still out there, Mohammed? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Yeah. What it? So I, I just want to have a few... Uh, I think uh, you, you did uh, uh, say it well. Um, the, during the Soviet uh, occupation of Afghanistan, um, the U.S., uh, through its friends and directly, they were actually supporting uh, the guerrilla fighters. They called them Mujahideen. Um, and, and, and they, indeed, they did build Al-Qaeda. Um, Saudi Arabia was uh, uh, putting the money and uh, Americans were putting the high-tech uh, uh, anti-tank, anti-planes, uh, and, and so on. And uh, when, uh, when the Soviet withdrew, uh, and the Cold War actually, uh, actually started uh, cooling down, and there is many uh, peace activists in the States around the world who said, well, this is the time, actually, uh, to uh, switch military budget to social justice programs. And, and after uh, uh, the two old and the two sick and the two young, even in the United States. And, and of course, this was not really well received. And, and uh, the, the plan for invading Iraq uh, was uh, uh, conceived before 9-11, as now the report shows you. Uh, most recent numbers... Uh, a British study said that there is 655,000 Iraqi being killed since the American invasion, which is about three years old. Um, that's 2.5% of the population. Um, the situation now in terms of health care, in terms of personal security, in terms of education, is much, much worse than uh, Saddam time. Uh, so, so here... Uh, you know, the normal Iraqi, how he can actually really appreciate foreign troops on, on his or her land. Uh, the, the, the American failure in Afghanistan and Iraq did indeed encourage uh, some regime like North Korea to go ahead and, and become part of the nuclear superpower. Uh, because uh, everybody knows now that the U.S. is just, you know, hot air. Uh, it, it, it's obvious that they did not, not succeed in Afghanistan, and, and the same was uh, in Iraq. So, so uh, right now we seeing the increase of militancy uh, in foreign policy, policy of, of Canada, especially under this uh, uh, current government, and it's not good news for Canadians. And they must decide if this is really what they want to be American-like. Uh, or they should really uh, fight this and, and, and try to bring back Canadian values of peacemaking and peacekeeping. Uh, um, and remember, uh, uh, this has a, a strong impact on our national policy in terms of defense spending, social justice programs, uh, health care. Uh, so, Many of our national uh, issues are affected uh, by uh, being in, in Afghanistan. i just uh, like to underline uh, the point. I expected that North Korea would come up, and uh, 
Now here is this very provocative picture. Uh, Kim Jong-il, if we can go to... Uh, you know, is he a madman? Is he a lunatic? What, 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 is, what is he up to? Here he is on the cover of the, the Globe and Mail. Uh, apparently he's, you know, quite uh, taken with Rambo films. And uh, um, so he's exploded uh, a nuclear weapon. And this is huge. This changes the balance of power in the world. Here's a map of North Korea. Um, just picking up on what you said there, uh, uh, Muhammad. Um, but uh, and then, of course, uh, the sale of uh, YouTube to Google is big news. That's all in and around YouTube. But uh, Kim Jong Il, Kim, Kim Jong Il. This is uh, um, the Globe and Mail, Tuesday, October 10th. Kim Jong Il, uh, crazy, uh, crazy or crazy like a fox. I don't have the uh, Plot, much uh, screens up in front of me, gentlemen. Um, anyway, the, this this article um, uh, let's see. Okay. Uh, okay. I'm just quoting from this article. Um, Others said it was nervousness about an activist United States that accelerated Mr. Kim's desire for nuclear weapons. And a similar quote, although, although the war has not gone as planned, some analysts believe that the ignominious, ignominious, the ignominious toppling of Mr. Hussein reinforced Mr. Kim's determination to secure nuclear weapons as a deterrent. So anybody looking at what happened in Iraq would have to conclude, any geopolitical strategist, I mean, the, the problem Iraq faced is it didn't have weapons of mass destruction. It didn't have a nuclear weapon. If it had a nuclear weapon, you can't do that to countries with nuclear weapons. You can't go in and invade the country. So what the Iraq example does is send out a signal, listen, folks, the hard news is you need nuclear weapons or you're vulnerable to having your country uh, taken over and occupied. And so uh, this, uh, these two quotes here are uh, you know, pretty, pretty uh, powerful food for thought. Now, if we're going to talk about a country like North Korea not having nuclear weapons, how can we say some countries it's okay for them to have nuclear weapons and other countries, it's not okay. Is it because some kind of countries are inhabited by like sensible people, maybe even white people, uh, kind of civilized people, and other kind of countries are are inhabited by people who are kind of uncivilized, maybe not white? I mean, it's hard not to look at the the way nuclear weapons are distributed in the world and said, well, essentially the, the colonizing imperial powers, oh, well, there, there's no there's no debate about it. They have nuclear weapons, but the people who are colonized, when they get nuclear weapons, it, it's a proliferation. So, Tony. yeah. 
I think that article goes on to talk about how it's actually not at present time that the, the conditions are dangerous, but once countries sanction uh, Korea even more, North Korea even more, like if China, their greatest ally at the moment, pulls out, then the conditions will really be right for it. Uh, either selling the nuclear arms or using them. What I'm, what I'm getting at is if you're going to say to Iran and, and North Korea, this is proliferation. You can't be allowed to have nuclear weapons. You can't really have that discussion in, in an intelligent fashion with saying, we have to regulate all nuclear weapons. And it's got to apply uniformly. Jen Jennifer, are you there, uh, Mohammed? Or yes, yes, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm talking too long here, but... Uh, Jennifer has a point there. Uh, aren't they working on a treaty now to stop production of nuclear weapons and anyone who has them has to safely start destroying them? Like the United States, for instance? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that discussion there? And, you know, when we talk about Saddam Hussein must not have weapons of mass destruction, well, yes, okay, that's, that's good, but every country has to deal with who has weapons of mass destruction. We have to have some kind of uniform approach. And that's where the rule of law comes in. That's where the concept of, you know, law to be consistent and credible law, or to be credible, it has to be consistent. You, you, you say, well, it just, it just applies to the people who are poor. It just applies to the people who aren't white. It just applies to the people who don't have, uh, you know, high... America has never followed UN law when it doesn't suit so. Why would that surprise you now? If you look at America in the past, they've never followed world law or UN law when it's... Well, it's ironic because, you know, the United States largely created the United Nations. The United States joined with Great Britain in 1941 and... Yeah, Security Council. Yeah, the um, Atlantic Charter, which is sort of the beginning of the process of creating the United Nations. But the United Iraq's States... Iraq's the case in point. The Nuremberg Trials and spoke very, you know, its agents spoke very eloquently about the need for all people who violate, uh, who violate, who, who commit international crimes, the highest order of crime. But, but look at Abdul Greg, or all have to be held accountable for it. The, the examples are clear that America doesn't follow any UN policy when it doesn't suit. Iraq and hence flick. Originally, they invaded anyways, even though there were no weapons of mass destruction. You got uh, secret prisons around the world. You got torture, allegations of torture at many of their uh, holding camps. I mean, what, who, who thinks that America follows the UN policy? Does anybody? Then it's so hard to prove. I'd be surprised if there are any. What? what? What are you seeing? You're seeing... I, well, I'm assuming there are no hands, but... Yeah, there's the shot. Yes. <laughs> Does anybody actually believe they follow UN policy? Hey, Mark, we, we have to do a book review for this class, and the book is pretty much about how the United States doesn't follow international law or UN policy. It's called Lawless World. It's due next week, so... All right. By uh, But I'm, I, 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 I'm trying to bring out the idea that we can put the United States on both sides of this question. That you know, much of the initiatives for the concept of international law come from the United States, and we're at a moment now where there's another faction who really is against 
much of what the New Deal stood for, eh? the, the, the legacy of Franklin Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, the, the, they were behind the, the creation of the United Nations. Um, I don't know, I, I, it's just to see the complexity that uh, the United States isn't a single force in history, it's a complex of forces in history. And, and, uh, but right now we're definitely at a moment where uh, essentially the United States is trying to domesticate international law. And essentially it's creating now laws for these black sites. That's why on September 6th George Bush acknowledged that there are black sites. And how are black sites different than concentration camps, what we used to call concentration camps? I mean, any of us could wake up tomorrow and find ourselves in, in such a place. I mean, the, you know, and, and Mohammed, I mean, I think there is definitely a, a pattern where people see in the paper, they see all of these Arab names, they see all of these Islamic names, and there's a kind of disjoint. Oh, that's that kind of people, it's not my kind of people. And there isn't this sense that, uh, you know, we're, we're all in this together. Once the precedent is set, that you can be picked up, no trial, no charge, no notice to your mom and dad for your kids, you're just gone and nobody knows where you are. And uh, you can be there for a year or ten years um, um, and you know, that, that goes against every concept of law, every concept of human rights, every concept of some kind of decent relationship develops according to rules and, and it's happening right in our midst. And Muhammad is in the front line uh, with with the voice to talk about it, and, and uh, I'm I'm hoping you'll uh, you'll pick up the uh, if I haven't uh, moved the moved the ball too far out of the court that you're that you're wanting to play in, uh, uh, and it's not play; it's very serious. Are you there, Muhammad? Yes, uh, I just want to add uh, something to to the discussion about the United States. I think to me. Um, the era of Eisenhower uh, did end really uh, American role as a leader of the free world, at least in intention, uh, not in reality. So, so for the last um, uh, 50 years, and definitely uh, under uh, George W. Bush, uh, the U.S. is acting as the bully of the world. Uh, I think this would change only when it becomes too expensive for them to do that role and there will be an internal pressure from Americans themselves that this is really um, uh, a lost, lost situation uh, invading Iraq um, is, uh, is a disaster. We could have stayed out of it and we could still have the power and, and the cheap oil, etc., etc., etc. That there is some kind of balancing power uh, within the U.S. itself to have some uh, uh, logic and, and less greed in their foreign policy. And they will not actually uh, get into that uh, uh, because of their good hearts. It, it has to, as I said, too expensive for them. When they realize their uh, uh, debt uh, is increasing uh, faster than that they can actually pay it off, uh, that uh, uh, they're uh, losing what is called the war on terror, that their uh, military uh, is very thin, that their allies like Israel lost uh, uh, a low-tech war against uh, uh, fierce fighting uh, 
resistance movement in Lebanon, uh, when, when they see their friends are actually irritated, uh, even if they don't say it, um, that, that uh, uh, Americans were just walking up. And uh, um, I just hear that one of the uh, U.S. personnel just deserted to Canada yesterday. Uh, he doesn't want to go back to Iraq. Um, so if, if this is becomes uh, public, and that's why we need alternative media to uh, teach Canadians first and Americans second, uh, that, that uh, increasing militancy in foreign policy is bad for business. And only when you reach that point that things will change. Uh, this is the nature of uh, capitalism. I have a question for Mohammed or Tony. Okay. Uh, would you say that empires in perceived decline become increasingly violent as they try to preserve their hegemony? I think. Uh, I would. I would. The short answer is yes. Do you want to elaborate, uh, Mark? Well, I, I keep characterizing America as a wounded animal, as China and other. The centers of power shift away from the Western traditional powers. That uh, it seems to me that America is becoming more and more sort of just outwardly admitting a that they are an empire, and then using uh, military might and force to preserve their hegemony or what they have left to, to uh, kind of try to, to preserve that Western sort of power base that that they are losing increasingly to China and other uh, centers around the world. I think uh, not too many Americans actually uh, subscribe uh, and admit to, to say that uh, the U.S. is is creating an empire. They are uh, they have an allergy uh, to to say uh, you know that we are part of an empire. They always uh, look down at the British Empire and yes. the imperialism. Ironically, and and they think uh, uh, America is uh, is a champion of the free world and and the freedom. And which is not true anymore, as I said, you know, this ended by Eisenhower, in my opinion, over 50 years ago. I'm going to share a little uh, discovery I made on the Internet lately. Um, if, we, if we can put up the... Uh, and maybe you can make it... Oh, I guess Mohammed won't be able to see this, but uh, Mark will. Um, there's a new organization called the International Peace Operations Association. And uh, so the International Peace Operations Association are military companies, private companies, contracting to what I'd call the national security state, including, and then you go through and you see uh, Amico is a full-service equipment supplier providing a broad way of service construction, mining, government, and industrial markets. Landmine Action, here's a company that does landmines, aviation company, Blackwater, does uh, as the world's most comprehensible professional security training, peace support, and stability operations company. We specialize in basic and advanced law enforcement, military and counterterrorism training, commercial and tactical threat, risk assessment and security operations, capacity building and security sector reform prog programs, maritime security operations, aviation, logistics, construction services, and the design and operation of full-scale training centers. It was Blackwater who were uh, 
uh, on display. They were quartered, and, and there was a famous photograph in Iraq. Uh, so, you know, th- this is a new development that all of this militarism, it's not being done by the uh, U.S. Army anymore. It's being done by private corporations who have the Darwin, it's, uh, what's the word, Orwellian, they call themselves the International Peace Operations Association. You look at that and say, that sounds pretty benign. Um, but, you know, as, as you talk, Mohammed, about the, uh, um, hoping that the American people will save the day, will influence their own government, and yet, you know, there, there is this political constituency now which has such a vested interest in this approach to intervening all over the world um, and um, uh, and is you know changing the laws and changing the whole system evergreen international aviation heart security um, Halliburton supplies a lot of those uh, yeah. as well and Halliburton of course is a whole uh, mass of companies so yes you can say this approach is is putting the United States in great debt. On the other hand, the whole economic system of the United States is becoming structured around it and needs to do this to keep the economy going. So to look within the United States for the amelioration, for the remedy, in a way it involves a a retooling of the economy, economics of the United States. And, And how likely is that to happen? You know, what and the money-wise, it, it represents a transfer of public funds to private interests. Part of this course is money, culture, and globalization. And if you look, it's the largest transfer of public money to private corporations. Is what's going on right now in America with no accountability. Well, but, but I think I think uh, um, uh, Canada has a role to play. You see, because um, many of the American elite look up. Uh, to Canada, and, and they did look up to Canada, that it is a safety valve when, uh, when their country got on, heavily involved in, 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 in uh, Vietnam. Uh, unfortunately, we are losing that position, a position of trust, of alternative policy, uh, of being the consciousness of uh, North America as a whole, and, and then being good friend. We think that good friend is to go along with our friend, even if our friend is trying to shoot themselves in the head, which is stupid. Uh, you know, watch, just watch Peter McKay in, 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 uh, in, in hosting Condoleezza Rice. Uh, you know, he's just acting like a schoolboy. Shameful. I mean, just what is this? You know, you have to be proud to be Canadian, to have alternative policy, a different outlook uh, in the world. We should be proud that we are not a superpower, that we are not uh, uh, United States of America, although we are North Americans. Uh, and and, and, and if the more we lose that, we lose actually the respect of many uh, Americans and, and the, their friendship which counted. Uh, so we, we, the, we need really to move into those lines. And it may take a long time for the, the American uh, public to understand that we are different. You know, look for example to Tony Blair. I think Tony Blair's biggest sin is to go along with Bush. He did uh, harm to his own country and also to, to the American people.
because many of the American elite think that Blair is smart, is not as dumb as their president. Uh, if he goes along with the president, this must Mr. Bush did something right. So, so he, it, it, I think he did more harm uh, to American people than the, that was they thought at the beginning. So right now, uh, Canada is is taking the role which is not really of a leadership in North America, and and we should really change that. And we have an opportunity within a year to to change this government to educate uh, the liberal leadership, you know, whoever is there, uh, uh, in order to to make sure that this this world needs somebody like Canada, which is what happened to this soft power of actuality. Looks like we already forgot that, for God's sake. I mean, uh, all this idealism in, in the political arena, we should really go back to it, because it makes perfect uh, uh, sense. We are only 10% of the military force in Afghanistan. So we are very small, but we having high level of casualties. And if, if we don't wake up, we find that we are not contributing in, in the peace process in Afghanistan. We have too many Canadian kids being killed there. Uh, the conflict is not resolved by 09. We probably have to extend it some more and so on. So, so the, the more we speak, the more we uh, get the attention of some Canadians first and then Americans second, we will have a chance to succeed. Are you going to the uh, convention in Montreal? Uh, yes. Are you? I'm going as a, an observer, yeah. and, and we already did the report card about uh, the candidacy, and we hope and pray that uh, Ignatius uh, will, will not, will not uh, uh, succeed in becoming a leader. I met the man. Uh, he, he is a professor of history <laughs> in, in, uh, in Harvard. And, and he scared me uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, extreme uh, right-wing uh, uh, views. Chris? Uh, I, I heard on the CBC today that Michael Natchez, uh was criticizing Israel and their bombing of Hezbollah and, well, and towns and cities in Lebanon. And he's just been well, pretty much ousted from his position as uh, the next leader of the Liberal Party. So I, or, I think that's what I heard. I, I know I know he was criticizing Israel, and he he is losing a lot of credibility within Canadian politics. So, well, okay, let, let me comment. Uh, the media actually did call me yesterday about this. Uh, one of the issues that we did read uh, the candidates is actually the view on the Middle East, especially in the Israeli invasion of Lebanon, and uh, we did criticize Ignatiev because he said that I don't really care about Ikna, uh, Kana, I'm sorry, uh, Kana, and we, he thinks that this is not really a war crime, and uh, uh, Israel was justified uh, to bomb civil, civilian quarters. And, and uh, I think uh, on a French uh, TV show, he did correct this, and, and I believe, and I told the media, this is was the correct uh, this is a, was a, uh, the right correction that he did. He said this is, a, according to him, uh, as an expert in, in uh, human rights, this is a war crime. And, and Jewish groups criticized him. Only Jewish groups criticized him. And, and we said, uh, uh, I think Canadians will appreciate that now he knows 
uh, the facts on the ground because his initial comment that it was not a war crime was during the war itself and he did not have all the facts. Uh, now he knows the facts and he did the right thing by the correction. I don't know if he would be actually losing the liberal leadership because of that. We have to wait and see uh, in, in Montreal in December. I heard he did lose support, though, by uh, the... Support as in Jewish support. I, I thought it was someone more directly linked to the Liberal Party. It could have been a Jewish member of the... Correct, the, correct, yeah. That, that would probably would be the case, yeah. Okay. Shall we uh, take a short break? Okay. Uh, how many minutes? Uh, ten minutes. Okay. Is that okay with you, uh, Mark? Yeah, are we going to try to get Mohammed on video then? Yeah, we will use the 10 minutes. Uh, I have the technician just next door here. Give it a try. If not, we'll phone you on the same. Okay? So I will uh, hope to see you in 10 minutes. Okay? Okay. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Okay, bye now. James. Rolling Stones rule. Were they good? Was it good? Oh my god, we had so much fun. I was there for, uh, I came up on Saturday. I was there for 48 hours. Right on. Did uh, the seats were alright? Oh, great seats. Just, uh, really? yeah, no, uh, no obstruction. We could see the stage perfect. We had our like, own private little screen. You can see the like the Regina skyline, the raising, the rising full moon. We got to see them drive away and like walk out backstage and like get in their cars. So we were still cheering everybody else in Taylor Field. Like, what are those people in Section One doing? They thought we were crazy. It was awesome. We got uh, uh, Mitch Jagger walk up to us and be like singing right for us. It's so good. Really? Yeah. Okay, because I was worried. I wanted to make sure they're. That's why I gave the guy my business card and everything. Your friend. Yeah, yeah, Matt. Well, I know, I was a little nervous too because you'd said that and then, you know, we looked in the paper to see where section one was and, but it was, it ended up being really, really good, so. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Mark. I owe you one, buddy. <laughs> I had a nice Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> How did Gordon Lightfoot cars to go, man? Oh, it was, it was actually a good concert. It was, he did a two, uh, two sets and he did Canadian Railway Trilogy, which was nice. Yeah. Always a Canadian favorite of mine. Yeah. And I, I got some ginger snap cookies and uh, homemade buns to take home. So. Yeah. From uh, Terry's uh, mom. Yeah. So you had a good family event. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually a lot of fun. It was good and restful too. I wasn't feeling well. Yeah. I haven't been feeling well since Lethbridge actually. I, I must have caught something from Alberta. Clinitis or something. Feedlot Alley, man. What's that? Feedlot oh. Alley. It's one of the highest densities of uh, cattle and pigs. And yeah, yeah, that's exactly. That's kind of like a that's a big science experiment, I guess you could put it. <laughs> and well, look at subjects around here too, because you know people. It's the lifeblood. That's the. That's Oh, I had an interesting debate about um, genetically sort of uh, zero tillage 
crop growth and, and I was talking to some farmers and stuff about it. It was pretty informative, saying that you know that we it maybe not necessarily the the worst way to go. That zero tillage maybe actually preserves the soil. And, uh, but I think the key now is not organic or fair trade or any of that stuff. I think we should be focusing on local. I think that's the, clearly what, what needs to happen, and I'm not the only person saying that. I mean, we were talking about that at Thanksgiving, and I think that Evan's talking about it now in, in Ottawa, and the only real sustainable way is to be, uh, you know, supporting local initiatives. I'm going to go and get some uh, uh, apple juice or something. All right, me too. Yeah. Talk to you too.
hold her shoulder, fucking pulled her tight. All the stuff in the chat here to do on uh, the weekend, but they like Cal's coming right now. Hold up for one second. Hi. Hi, Cal. It's Karen. <laughs> I talked to the Polycom people. They think that there, there, there may have a fuse problem. It may have just blown a whole fuse to the system. Really, eh? Yeah. 
Um, it's absolutely, you know, you turn it off and you turn it on. I unplug it, I plug it in, and it just doesn't want to do anything. Huh. Dead as a doornail. So, <laughs> my apologies. I'm That's okay. Have we tried a different plug? Maybe they just blew the circuit. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's all sort of, you know, buried all underneath. Oh, I see. Oh, it's, yeah, crazy. Well, we got we got this. This will work anyway, so at least it's up and running. Is Eric okay in, in for the classes? I think so. This seems to be working well. Okay, that's good. I can, uh, not being able to see, I think uh, at least we can communicate, and that's the big thing. Right, so. okay. All right, well, my apologies for this. That's okay. Thanks for all your help. Okay, you. okay. so here's Dr. Amatri. Thank you very much. Yeah. Hello. Hello. We're just waiting on a couple students and Tony. Oh, Tony's just back now. Okay. Okay. They were unable to connect. Hello? Who is it? What's the name of the new FKA president? Hey, okay. can you hear me, Mohammed? Yes, I can hear you well. Yeah. We were just at the break where we were discussing uh, Chinese uh, relationship to nuclear weapons, to Navy. You know, it would be fascinating, Ling Ling, to uh, give us a, a tour through some Chinese websites and uh, translate uh, what, these, what, what these websites are about and, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, are we, do you want to, uh, would you take up the, take up the topic, uh, Mohammed? Yes, yeah, right, yeah, I, I, I have two topics here. Uh, the one uh, is anti-Islam uh, today, and uh, uh, I just want to uh, state a thesis that, that uh, I am one of those who believe that, uh, World conflicts today are uh, political and have nothing to do with religion. And uh, I believe this is actually the, the fact m most of the history. Um, political conflicts are, are uh, motivated by power and wealth. And if you look at uh, the situation now between Western power uh, led by United States and uh, Muslim countries, you find there is three um, attractions there. One of them is oil. Um, most uh, Muslim states sit on most of the oil. And uh, also they have a strategic uh, location in terms of geopolitical. Uh, most of uh, uh, air uh, line channels uh, and also uh, navigation goes through. Muslim uh, countries, and the third is actually the huge market uh, for Western goods, uh, especially in, in Gulf states. Uh, we're talking about a market the size of 1.5 billion people. So, given the situation, uh, even if the Muslim uh, uh, state countries uh, 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 subscribe to a different, a different religion called X, for example, you find the same situation, nothing to do with Islam, and, and the same as nothing to do with Christianity when 
George W. Bush uh, talks of the, uh, the crusade that he's leading against uh, Iraq. Um, so given the situation, you find that uh, still uh, some politicians, uh, for good reasons, uh, they try to paint uh, the, the root cause of uh, a, a political conflict is due to religion. Uh, this will make it convenient for them not to solve the conflict and also to gain a brownie points from one conflict to another. So, for example, if you if you blame Islam for, say, terrorism uh, and then also uh, terrorist attack in Israel and, and uh, in Chechnya uh, would be linked somehow to Islam, this means that a terrorist attack in Chechnya uh, somehow uh, is blamed on Islam, and there is no need to go into deeper uh, about the conflict in Chechnya. It is, uh, must be that religion, it's the nature of that religion, it is the nature of these people, they love violence, uh, they are backward, uh, the Quran must be teaching them violence. So there is no point in wasting uh, anybody's energy and political capital involving the conflict. Uh, in Canada, you find that the people who propagate this theory, they have also other characteristics. Uh, uh, for example, uh, many of them, they will be anti-immigrant uh, because uh, Muslim countries uh, right now are uh, main source of immigration to Canada as uh, India and China is dropping from the top left because the standard of living are increasing. Um, so uh, countries like Iran, Turkey, Egypt, and other Muslim countries, they still supply immigrants. So they try to propagate that Canada somehow doesn't, doesn't need more immigrants. They also uh, anti-native uh, because uh, uh, since many places in the Muslim world uh, they are really struggling for self-determination, like say, for example, in Kashmir, in Chechnya, in Palestine, uh, and the natives are uh, 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 victimized in a place like, say, Palestine. These people also anti-native rights here in Canada. They also anti-multiculturalism. So this means that uh, the tolerance is built on uh, for Canada since time that this country is built by not only the English and French, but also people from different backgrounds and should really respect them. Uh, they also anti-civil liberties because uh, they felt that uh, uh, the, the more of a freedom of speech, uh, the more of uh, less co concentration of media, the more dissenting voice will be heard. So, uh, for example, they are very supportive of Bell C3 text, which is uh, the anti-terrorist law, which gives uh, police extra power, uh, and they saw uh, what they did with it in terms of uh, Maher Arar. Uh, right now, police can tape uh, private conversations. They can actually arrest without a court order after 72 hours and the rotating uh, uh, door that actually the suspects can be uh, held in, in custody for, for a long time. They also anti-democratic because uh, they are pushing 
the right-wing agenda in Canada against uh, the majority of Canadians and the anti-democratic in the world stage because, for example, they are uh, against uh, the expansion of the Security Council to include the countries like India, for example, or Nigeria, for example. Uh, 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 and, and so, so because this will give the developing countries, which including Muslim voices, uh, uh, voices in, in, in the uh, political stage. You find them also, they are supporting American exploitation of Latin America. So, so this means that they, uh, uh, they don't really like um, Castro Cuba, they don't like uh, Venezuela today, etc. Um, many of them also, they are pro-Israel, regardless of the cost, uh, uh, and they try again to paint this as if, as if it is a war against uh, uh, Muslims, which is, of course, 10-20% uh, uh, of uh, Palestinians are Christians, and many Christian groups uh, use armed resistance to get rid of the Israeli occupation, uh, which is almost uh, uh, 40 years now since 67 of West Bank and Gaza. And you find them also they are pro-war. So any militancy in the world stage, you know, invading Iraq, uh, threatening to invade uh, countries, the pro-Israel and they tried actually to uh, really uh, uh, put uh, international sanctions against the government, elected government of the Palestinian people who is democratically elected uh, because they don't like their line and their, their policy and they don't want to give any political uh, uh, success uh, to 
an Islamic-oriented uh, political party like Hamas. Uh, so once you get that agenda, it's very difficult to find political solutions to conflict. So m- many people will be paying uh, with their lives. Uh, if you look at uh, the Middle East, uh, in the w- war on Lebanon, which lasted more than one month, uh, the Lebanese people uh, paid uh, the heavy call. Uh, Israeli did. Uh, but the issue is much smaller. Uh, there is no uh, political uh, solution to the conflict. Uh, somehow, the national resistance of Hezbollah in Lebanon uh, uh, kept up a, a fight against Israeli high-tech, F-16 and, and uh, Navy and, and uh, heavy artillery across the border. Uh, and, and you get back to square one because uh, still, Israel is occupying the West Bank and Gaza and Golan Heights uh, and also part of uh, southern Lebanon. Hezbollah was created uh, out of political necessity uh, by Israel when they invaded uh, 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 southern Lebanon for almost 20 years, from the 82 to uh, 2000. Well, so Islam is just caught into in the middle of this political conflict, and as I said, that I firmly believe and 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 I can defend the thesis, and it's not only my own but many others that this is nothing to do with the religion. It's if if uh, if the Muslims today, the 1.5 billion, with their political position and geographical, and 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 the oil they're sitting on, they subscribe to another religion. Uh, the conflict will be sustained, and and you see the same results as you see it. Uh, the the, the uh, Israeli-Palestinian one is really a focus of Middle East policy uh, by the American and the Canadian uh, uh, government. Uh, if you know a little bit of history, it started in the 1800 with a, a national movement. Uh, among the uh, Jews of Europe that they want to create a national homeland uh, for Jews only because of uh, the anti-Semitic treatment uh, they received in Europe. Uh, There were two opposing views at that time. One to say the solution for Jews in in, uh, Western countries is to integrate, uh, to be involved in politics, to get out of this ghetto mentality and be part of the society, and in that case, anti-Semitic will actually reduce to almost uh, zero. The opposing view said, "Well, this is fine and dandy, uh, but it's not sufficient. What we need also is for Jews only a homeland and, and uh, a state, and, and this is with uh, the theme of Zionism as a political national." Uh, movement uh, uh, for Jews. In the 1800, uh, 90% of Jews were against Zionism because it created a problem uh, for them as uh, double loyalty, uh, invading another country, uh, and establishing for Jews only uh, a statehood is not good, it will not solve their problem. So 90% was opposing to the Zionist idea. But uh, now, 
uh, the, the situation is opposite. 90% of Jews around the world are subscribing to the Zionism, which is the creation and expansion uh, of a, a state, uh, a Jews only state, in uh, historical Palestine, uh, in Israel, uh, and also in the West Bank. You see uh, almost uh, daily uh, illegal settlement uh, in the West Bank. I visited the West Bank uh, and also Israel proper uh, in 1995 when uh, uh, the assassination of the former Prime Minister Rabin uh, happened in November uh, 1995. Uh, and I saw the miserable state of uh, the native Palestinians compared to the armed uh, uh, settlers in the best housing, uh, uh, swimming pools and, and the schools and playgrounds um, in, in the West Bank. So this unjust cannot be sustained. You can't sustain it forever. It, it will blow up. Uh, and indeed, this is what we, we see. Uh, the, the Palestinians don't have peace. They don't have dignity. They don't have hope. They have 70% unemployment. Israelis, they don't have peace. Uh, there is suicide uh, bombing, uh, the uh, armed resistance. Uh, uh, you saw what happened in northern Israel of the rockets from Hezbollah uh, and civilian population. Uh, so again, here we have a, 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 a political uh, conflict. Uh, the Americans are blindly 100% behind Israel, uh, which I, I believe they are not really uh, supporting the normal uh, man in the street in Israel even. Uh, because if they do, they will actually have uh, concentrated effort to solve the problem. Even in the uh, Israeli war on Lebanon, uh, they resisted an early ceasefire. Can you imagine? Uh, they tried to encourage Israel to go ahead because uh, they miscalculated that yeah, within a week, Maybe another week, maybe another week, Israel will wipe out the armed resistance of Hezbollah. But it's a guerrilla movement, and, and I guess the Americans did not uh, learn anything from Vietnam. You can't wipe a guerrilla movement who has a high moral to defend their own country. Uh, they are lightly equipped. Uh, the, the low tech can be high tech any time when you have a situation like that. So they kept pushing the Israeli week after week after week. Israelis are being killed. Lebanese are being killed uh, uh, about 10 to 1 ratio every day till Israel relies on the Americans behind them that they can't really achieve mission of wiping out whatever that means of Hezbollah. So after 32 days, uh, the states uh, managed to get a peace uh, uh, ceasefire and, and sorry, ceasefire in place. Uh, so, so this actually I'm trying. I did integrate actually the two points I, I tried to cover, which is the anti-Islam today, and also Canada's policy in the Middle East, and and put them uh, together. In Canadian policy in the Middle East, I mean, uh, uh, Canada had a policy of saying a two-state solution, and this should be through negotiation. This is uh, uh, fine, 
and fair, but Canada did not do anything uh, in order to achieve that politically. Again, diplomacy did not really work. It did. Canada didn't have any effort on this line. When you have a, a regional superpower, uh, an occupying power like Israel, you need really a balance of power in the negotiating table to get a solution. But unfortunately, especially with the Harper government, Canada is blaming uh, the Palestinians for uh, no solution. Uh, and although they, they are the victims, they are the people under the occupation, they are the natives of the land. So, so again, uh, Canada is, is really uh, uh, taking uh, a lead from George W. Bush in Middle East, and it's, it's not really good for, for the country or for uh, any people of the Middle East, including Palestinians, Lebanese, and Israelis. Mohammed, yes. I, I, um, you keep uh, making references to concentration of media as a major problem. And we did meet at a conference where we were talking about that issue and uh, this concept of disinformation. Uh, I first heard that phrase in a, a videotape that the, the RCMP made of themselves while they were conducting an operation at Gustafson Lake. Uh, they said uh, in this tape, Gustafson Lake being the site of a clash between Native people and uh, <coughs> the Army and the RCMP, uh, an agent of the RCMP said, can anybody help us with our disinformation and smear campaign? You can find this on the Globalization Studies website. It's a, in a film called Above the Law, Part 2. And as I came to... to Think about that and study that. You know, disinformation became a kind of science, another aspect of the Cold War. I mean, how do you fight the Cold War? Uh, a lot of it had to do with uh, psychological warfare. How do you uh, influence public opinion? So uh, this study of how you uh, control people's perceptions or influence people's perceptions. You know, this is this is a big topic in this course, um, and you you deal with it very directly because, of course, you're uh, often pointing out, uh, uh, especially the National Post bias, uh, and the National Post uh, very clearly is owned by a family who are Zionists um, and who have a, a position on this. Um, I was uh, looking at the website about the International Peace Operations Association, a critical website, looking at the media, and I noticed Burson Marsteller. Um, and I became aware of Burson Marsteller when we were doing a, a pro, our pro-Kyoto campaign here in Alberta with Tucker Gomberg. You know, the government of Alberta was taking a very strong anti-Kyoto position. Uh, the government of Alberta, of course, where there's a concentration of oil and gas interests, basically U.S. oil and gas interests. And uh, I learned that it wasn't really Ralph Klein in charge of this. It was a big PR company, big U.S. PR company called Burson Marsteller, who was, who was conducting uh, a whole range of, of media um, campaigns to turn public opinion against uh, against Kyoto. Uh, the war in Iraq would have a public 
relations company, a big company that would be hired to sell the war in Iraq. Uh, so, you know, the uh, advertising we get in the media, it isn't all in the part of the paper where, where there are advertisements. It's, it's in the news stories. It's, it's uh, very, uh, you know, the, the, the news items themselves are the are a center of great, uh, well, it really is scientific study, how you, how you influence public opinion, how you influence a political agenda, how you uh, get people to, uh, you know, how do you get people to support, for instance, during the Cold War, when there's no major, well, there's Vietnam taking place, but how do you get people to go along with putting a huge percentage of their, their, their wealth, their treasure, into weapons? Uh, you know, it, it seems to me pretty clear that the war on terror involves a huge um, study, a huge scientific initiative here to get people so they're willing to uh, devote more and more of the public earth to, to defense. Uh, so I know you're, you're, you're dealing with all the time, uh, this all the time, uh, Mohammed. How do you see media concentration and why do you keep bringing it up in, in all these different contexts? Why? Well, um, I mean, I have a really a first hand in, in terms of uh, uh, directive uh, media, which is uh, mainly by dictatorship in, in Egypt while I'm growing up. And, and uh, uh, it, it does affect public opinion and, and it, it affects uh, political agenda. Um, but people uh, gradually try to realize that they cannot trust this media anymore and they try to look for alternative media. Even at that time, the only alternative media would be, say, a BBC, uh, um, say, a broadcast, news broadcast, because there was no internet, there was no TV, uh, only newspaper and radio. Uh, so here in Canada, uh, of course, there is two battlefields. One of them is the media itself, and, and uh, uh, we try to uh, really appeal to the professionalism uh, within uh, the industry. Uh, every journalist in this country uh, is a professional uh, by default who is seeking excellence and also try to achieve it. Uh, and uh, we try to appeal to them for fairness, for accuracy, for balance. And many of them listen. Many of them listen. If you show to them that, uh, you know, this XYZ is not really fair or, or balanced or, or uh, accurate, because uh, where you get the your source, uh, you get it from an Israeli uh, uh, think tank who translating from Arabic. So you should mention that in your article. You, you're entitled to do whatever. But for God's sake, you are not Arabic speaking. I am. And, and you, you should really say your source. So the next time, they either not using that, or they will say it. We go to the Ombudsman of uh, uh, CBC. We go to the Press Council of uh, Provinces. Uh, the only newspaper which is not part of any Press Council in Canada is the National Post. And we say this is really against the, the ethics of the industry. So, so this, is, this is what we're trying to do. The second battlefield uh, is really is to say that high concentration of media is not good for Canada. It doesn't matter what. You know, when you see that Can West is actually owning uh, 
more than 60% of newspaper and TV channels in this country, uh, especially when they, as you said, it's a family with a certain ideology. Uh, it affects uh, uh, who will write for them, and it's not good. I mean, they are entitled, like me, to voice their political opinion, uh, and, but, but when you have that high concentration, uh, it's not good for this country, it's not good for democracy, because democracy is built on varied opinion that, that's equally exposed to the public at large. And, and people are uh, uh, asked to be the judge to select whoever. So this is the second battlefield. Of course, uh, people label me leftist, uh, radical, fundamentalist, anti-Semitic, etc., etc., etc. They try to silence somebody like me. I'm not the only one, of course, but I'm one of them uh, that they try to silence me. The, the, the third one, which is actually we are working, uh, sorry, there is three battlefields, and this is the third one, which is effective. Remember, media there uh, is really a vehicle for democracy. Uh, it changed public opinion. Public opinion changed political agenda. It affects uh, who we voted in, in the office. So we short-circuit all of that completely. So we go to the voters, and we, we inform the voters. In the last two elections, we said at least in the hundred ridings where the Muslims have a good percentage, which they can't be, uh, bring a swing vote. They should be informed voters, they should be multi-issue voters, and they should be committed voters. It's very important, the three. So the first one is informed. Don't take whatever, uh, who said what at that time. You should do your research, you know, listen to what we say as a CIC, but it's, it's ours, not the, the Bible. You can... You can look it up and you can debate it. You can disagree or agree. The second one, you should be a multi-issue. It, it is fast say to be hooked into the abortion issue or same-sex marriage issue or Israeli-Palestinian only issue. I thought you have to be a multi-issue voter. And, and you have to at least come up with some national and international issue. So we did help our community and Canadians at large. All our documents are in public domain. Many people actually use it. They said there's 20 issues. Here's our position. And this is the yardstick we use it to uh, give A or B or F to candidates. I want to... Uh, and the last one. Yeah, okay. And the last one is actually committed. You have to show up on the day of election. You know, if you are an eligible voter staying home, this is a negative voting. You might give in by staying home. Uh, opportunity to the worst candidate in your riding to be representing you. Uh, so these are, are, are uh, as I said, it will actually remedy the situation with, without paying attention to the media at all. So there's three channels. Yeah. I want to commend you for getting involved in the political process to that extent. And it certainly uh, is, a, is a mark that uh, your membership or the leadership of, of your association is advancing the concept of Canadian citizen, get, citizenship, get involved. Being more informed participants in that life. And uh, I just wanted to, uh, before we finish, uh, um, 
give my own uh, few little reflections on uh, the weekend I spent with you and your constituents uh, at uh, Jane and Finch at 401 and 400 in the middle of Toronto in, I guess, a very multicultural part of Toronto beside um, a mosque. If we can go to the document camera um, and look at the... Uh, I kind of carry this as a bit of a badge. Um, I'm very proud to have been part of it. So the event that uh, Mohammed is talking about is described as Know Your Country, It's History, It's Politics. And uh, it's sponsored by the Canadian Islamic Congress, the World Islamic Society, and the Tariq uh, Islamic Center. And so the day was, uh, there was about 200 people in the audience. I would have to say it was uh, one of the, best informed, most engaged audiences um, and very highly educated audiences I've ever addressed. So I was uh, able to speak for a couple of hours and try to present an overview of Canadian history. And speaking to the group, Mohammed, it was quite a, it, it really made me appreciate in a deeper level that as I was speaking to the group, the, of course the audience are part of Canadian history by virtue of the fact that uh, I'm talking to Canadian citizens uh, who might come from Pakistan or Afghanistan who might be immigrants in their own uh, generation or the children of immigrants. But now the story of everybody in the room is now part of Canadian history. And so to talk about Canadian history, it has to be talked about in a you know a much more inclusive way uh, than I might have... Uh, Hello. Uh, there's no. We can't hear you. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you, Mohammed, but I can't hear Tony. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, so we, I'm trying to get. Phone then, huh? So I, I, I stay online. Yeah, stay online. Hello, Tony. People in the room, we can't hear you. We can hear you too. <laughs> we we can't hear Tony though. Oh, you can now, right? Yeah. The battery went dead. Yeah. So. <clears throat> Divine intervention. What? <laughs> so. Uh, Anyway, then uh, there was a, a talk, a uh, civic talk, from uh, former dean of the uh, Oscar Hall Law School, to go back to that, uh, on uh, the Canadian political system, the constitution, the way the laws are worked out, then uh, the Canadian media, and uh, anyway, I, I, in the, uh, I stayed for the second day, and uh, uh there was a lot of discussion about divorce. So it was quite instructive that the people at the, at the conference, uh, the families they represent, they're involved with, are facing a high rate of divorce, like is pretty universal in Canadian society or North American society. And um, so it applies in the... Arab and Muslim world as well in in in, uh, in 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 Canada to Canadians of Arab 
and Muslim background. I think, you know, I just, rather than saying Arab Canadians, I think it's better to say Canadians of a certain background, Canadians, to put the Canadian up first. Anyway, these, so it's a semantic minefield, all, all of this, you know. Um, uh, but in any case, that was very instructive to me. And of course, the people who had been involved in negotiating with the government of Ontario in uh, exploring the possibility of bringing Sharia law, uh, bringing um, uh, religious um, insights and the person and 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 and, and religious clerics, imams, uh, to involve them in the process of of uh, divorce of of how do you how are you going to create a situation for the future of the family, the future of the kids. Uh, and for a time it was accepted and then the Canadian gov- uh, the Ontario government did a kind of about face and said we're not having any religious involvement in, 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 in the uh, family law system. Uh, so that, that was a, a very, uh, very fascinating subject and it was quite informative to see, you know, this big complex issue is, is just as real, is, 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 is central among that constituency as among the rest of the people in the country. Um, how did you, uh, how do you see that issue, uh, Mohammed? How do you see, uh, say, bringing Sharia law into family, uh, law and conflict? Well, uh, actually, it, it was unfortunate that, uh, the word Sharia, uh, brought into the debate, um, because, uh, it is misunderstood word and it's been hijacked uh, even by some Muslims uh, in Canada saying that the Muslims want to bring stoning to this country which is not really part of the debate at all. The debate was should be focused on uh, faith-based uh, mediation and arbitration. Uh, does it have a role to play in case of family dispute or not? Uh, as you mentioned, that uh, Catholics and Jewish group had the right that uh, their arbitration was recognized by the courts. Uh, you can appeal, uh, uh, but Muslims did not have a similar system. They can actually do it. They can uh, have a, uh, an Islamically based mediation and arbitration, but the arbitration is not recognized by the courts. So some Muslims. Uh, said, well, we should be equally treated uh, because uh, faith-based and mediation and arbitration has many advantages. Uh, one of them, you can bring a healing factor in the process. It is also a reasonable cost because remember, in Canada, it costs an arm and leg to have a divorce. It takes a long time to do it. And usually the winner, uh, not the man, not the woman, it's actually the lawyers, uh, and, and uh, uh, if you bring a priest or a rabbi or an imam into the process, uh, it will elevate uh, the stress into our court system. Uh, my daughter did some work in family law when she, she was uh, uh, practicing private uh, practice as a lawyer, and she said, Dad, uh, it is a war. I don't know how a couple like that used to love one each other at uh, one time. So it, it is costly on the couple, it's, it's stressful, 
on the family and the taxpayer uh, pay a lot of uh, court time and also the lawyers is getting rich in the process. So it was very reasonable uh, since uh, every provincial government, remember that, uh, they use faith groups in, in, in officiating marriage. So uh, an imam, a rabbi, a priest, uh, uh, if he applies for a marriage license, he can officiate uh, a marriage and uh, his marriage contract is recognized by the system and the couple don't have to repeat the process in the city hall. They can short-circuit that and go straight to the city hall, but uh, there is no duplication in the system. So uh, people ask, why not use uh, faith-based uh, mediation and arbitration? Uh, and and uh, I think the Ontario government uh, chickened out for uh, political brownie points. They thought that they can appease some feminists, uh, uh, some self-hating Muslims by by saying no to everybody. So uh, they uh, took that right from Catholics and Jews and denied also to the Muslims. So uh, it was an unfortunate situation. They don't know how to handle it right now. They might, they might actually bring the, the law back into, uh, into focus and, and, and debate, but, but the, the issue is not really handled properly by the government or by uh, even uh, uh, opposition MPs. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, satisfied that the time is, you know, we put in We've had a good discussion. Uh, I could open it up for comment on any point or observations. Um, as uh, I was surfing around the net as, as you've been uh, speaking, uh, Mohammed, I, uh, at YouTube I found uh, Israel Hezbollah uh, at Galway. George Galway speaks out in support of Lebanon in an interview on Sky News. He attacks Israel policy in Lebanon and Gaza and states, that he believes Hezbollah is justified in attacking Israel. Uh, the respected uh, MP also lambasts media coverage. George Galloway is a very outspoken British MP. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm really anxious to see, see this. It was just a, a chance to hit uh, on... Uh, it's, that's amazing. <laughs> um, I wouldn't want to be the reporter. So... Uh, uh, when we're done the discussion here, I'll, I'll play that. It's a, a ten-minute clip, um, but uh, if we, we do have a, a, a brief uh, window here for any comments, if any, if any students want to ask a final question or make a comment. Next week is the uh, the book review assignment is due. The following week, the test will take place. So. Um, uh, I just put up today the uh, uh, essay to go along with the uh, uh, Aboriginal Health class, so I've got a number of links, and uh, you can check that on on the website. So, any uh, any final uh, remarks uh, down the down the line there from uh, Dr. El Masri, Dr. Spooner? 
No, I think uh, I can entertain any questions uh, from anybody, but I, I finish uh, what I want to say. I uh, have been, earlier on, I was surfing around the Canadian Islamic Congress uh, uh, website. It, must, it has literally hundreds and hundreds of articles that you've written on that site. It has an, an article on smart, immigration, uh, smart integration, which uh, was talked about quite a bit at the, at the conference, and in a way, I think the conference was an effort to uh, give that uh, theory some expression. And also, I have one uh, research paper on uh, globalization. Yes, and uh, so, Mohammed, uh, thank you so much for all your uh, contributions to our initiative here at the University of Lethbridge, and I really uh, do uh, look to you as a, a guide and a mentor in many ways, and I've learned a great deal from you, and I, I always uh, get uh, very positive feedback from students about uh, your presentations and uh, the uh, force of your ideas and the strength of your narrative uh, transcended the fact that we weren't able to see you this time around. Uh, so uh, really from the bottom of my heart, thank you, uh, Dr. Al Masri, and um, I really uh, admire and respect uh, the uh, intelligence and the dim dimension you bring to, to uh, our debate in Canada and our political process in Canada, um, and uh, thank you so much. Well, thanks, uh, Tony, and uh, I hope to see you in Ontario when you come uh, around uh, next time. Yeah, and uh, so I'll, I'll just uh, play this, uh, it's a 10-minute uh, <laughs> item, I haven't seen it before. Uh, Dr. Spooner, thank you so I've much. I've seen it, yeah. She really... Oh, uh, it's, it's not the uh, one where, I think it's, let's just see what it is here. Yeah, it'll be the blonde reporter for Sky. Oh yeah, you've seen it, eh? Oh yeah. She rips her apart, yeah. She... Okay, yeah. Uh, Bye, everybody. Thanks a lot, Mohammed. I appreciate okay. it. Okay, bye now. I'm thank you. <laughs> bye not to be a reporter. Sound, uh... Can you, uh, am I doing something? Heard <laughs> <laughs> in the show, eh? Oh, is it this? You don't know. She does a pretty good job, actually. Again, it usually just uh, YouTube just just plays. Joining me now is a man not known for sitting on the fence who passionately opposed the invasion of Iraq, <laughs> and now he feels that Hitler is justified 
in attacking Israel. He was director of the professional readers in our central London studio. A very good evening. A good morning, rather, to you, Mr. Galloway. Uh, how do you justify your support for Hezbollah and its leader, Hezbollah Nasrallah? It's preposterous way to introduce an item and what a preposterous question. On the day my daughter was born, and I've just celebrated her 24th birthday, I had to dash to the maternity hospital to see birth from a mass demonstration in London against the Israeli invasion and occupation of Lebanon. Israel has been invading and occupying Lebanon all of my 24-year-old daughter's life. The Hezbollah are a part of the Lebanese national resistance who are trying to drive, having successfully driven most Israelis from their land in 2000, Israel from the rest of their land, and to get back those thousands of Lebanese prisoners who were kidnapped by Israel under the terms of their illegal occupation of Lebanon. It's Israel that's invading Lebanon. It's Israel that's attacking Lebanon, not Lebanon that's attacking Israel. You've just been carrying a report of 10 Israeli soldiers on the border getting ready to invade Lebanon, and you ask us, to mourn that operation <laughs> as if it were some kind of war crime. Israel is invading Lebanon and has killed 30 times more Lebanese than have died in Israel. So it's you who should be justifying the evident bias, which is on every line of your face, and is in every nuance of your voice, and is loaded in every question that you ask. Right, the Hezbollah uh, <laughs> <laughs> was set up back in the 1980s in order to remove every Israeli soldier from Lebanese soil. As you said, it achieved that in 2000. No, it didn't. This is a no, it, didn't. It, it didn't. This is a key point that you're, you're concealing from your viewers. Israel was forced out of most of the south of Lebanon in 2000. It still occupies a part of Lebanon.